Today's scripture reading is taken from Psalm chapter 13, verses 1 to 6, and that's the whole chapter. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? And have sorrowed my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of my death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my eyes, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Verse 5. But I have trusted in the steadfast love. Sorry, let me read that again. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I shall sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He ends the reading of the word. Thank you, Kokwan, for reading God's word for us. Good morning, beloved. Blessed Christmas and a happy new year to you all. Blessed Christmas, happy new year. Okay. This is the last Sunday of 2018, and we have finished our Advent series and celebrated Christmas this past week. This Sunday sermon topic actually had a free slot. It was up to us, one of the pastors, to, to pick a passage and topic. So I've decided to continue the Psalms today, and we'll be continue, we're looking at Psalm 13 today, just six verses, but packed with grim reality, and yet offering us a certain hope. And I need to thank Toshi for your reflection uh, to verses 5 and 6 to the prelude to the worship. So guys, if you forget all that I'm going to say for the rest of this sermon later, just remember the summary that Toshi gave us. Okay, so my job is done. I can step off now, right? <laughs> but seriously, I pray that this scripture passage will prepare us to face the new year with renewed trust in our good God. So let us pray. Father God, we pray in the words of the psalmist that you open our eyes to the wonderful things in your word. Help us to see Jesus Christ and in seeing our precious Lord Strengthen our faith. May your Holy Spirit change us to be more and more like Jesus so that we might live lives that would be worthy of the gospel, that bring good to others and bring you much glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, my friends, have you ever felt that God has forgotten you? Where is God when my life is falling apart? Why has God left me alone? Have you ever had times when you face struggles and suffering? When God feels distant and the darkness feels as if it will not live? Some of us feel this way. I know I have. But we will never say so out loud. No, right? Because we've been taught that Christians 
don't experience such things. A good Christian always experiences abundant life, the victorious Christian life. We worry that if we actually say what we are thinking and feeling, our friends will look down on us and wonder whether there are unconfessed sins in our lives. Maybe just during this time of darkness, we question our salvation. So we keep out our appearances and keep our questions to ourselves. And yet, we cannot shake the dark feeling that God has turned away from us. My friends, if that describes you, you are not alone. The late, great 19th century Baptist pastor and preacher, Charles Spurgeon, once announced over his pulpit, I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. Historians who studied the life of Spurgeon said that one event loomed large on the landscape of Spurgeon's life and ministry, an event that triggered what would be decades-long inner war with anxiety and depression. And what was this event? On October 19, 1856, the 22-year-old Spurgeon was preaching for the first time at the music hall of the Royal Surrey Gardens in London to accommodate the massive crowds that followed him. An attendee yelled, fire, causing a stampede of people that left seven dead and 22, eight injured among a crowd of more than 7,000. And as a result of that event, Spurgeon was never the same. His church members and fellow elders reported that the incident had a serious effect on the nervous system of our pastor. From that point on, Spurgeon suffered bouts of deep, deep depression. And he never fully recovered until he was set free by death in 1892. Spurgeon struggled with periods where it seemed that the darkness will not live. And I'm sure some of us have felt the same way at times. When our prayers seem empty, our Bibles just words on a page. When we feel that God is nowhere near us. So how good it is for us to know that David experienced the same things we do as well. So turn with me to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. Here we see David, one of the giants of the Old Testament, a man after God's own heart. He also struggled with times where the darkness would not live. So David wrote Psalm 13. We can actually see this in the title in your Bible of the psalm. No one can say for certain which part of David's life this psalm was written. A few scholars and commentators think that it was composed during the time after David was anointed as the new king of Israel. And remember that, that situation? Uh, he was the new king in waiting of Israel and King Saul was chasing after him. So this was the time of David's life when he was fleeing from Saul. But no one knows for sure. Whatever the case, Psalm 13 describes for us David's honest thoughts and feelings. It begins with David's honest questions in verses 1 and 2. How long he cries. And he ends with David's joyful trust and confidence in verses 5 and 6. 
a mere six verses, and yet this, this uh, great upward trajectory. But what is the hinge? The hinge at the centre of this psalm is David's prayer in verses 3 and 4. David wrote this psalm from his personal experience. He tells us we can trust our good God in the midst of our struggles, of the, our darkness, of suffering. He put Psalm 13 into the songbook of Israel so that we, as church in the 21st century, can follow the same path from darkness to light. I know some of us managed to travel to Malaysia across the causeway, but travelling to Malaysia across the causeway can be unbearable, right, during the holiday season. How many of you have got caught in the like one, two, three or four hour jam? Clearing customs during a festive uh, occasion um, can be unendurable. You can be in a queue halfway to the counter, as I was before, when the custom officers suddenly decide that I need to take an urgent break. Have you had experience before? And then all of a sudden, your queue, you have to queue up all over again. You wait in line in a new queue. After waiting for 45 minutes, you're now in a new queue waiting again. And you wonder if you get a repeat. Waiting can be okay, but waiting can be unbearable when there's no apparent end in sight. Even more so, trouble can be unbearable, unbearable when there is no end in sight. And this is the experience of David in Psalm 13, verses 1 to 2. We read from Psalm 13, verses 1 to 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will the enemy be exalted over me? Notice that David is in trouble. His trouble was with God, verse 1. It seemed to David that God had turned away from him. God seemed so distant. His trouble is with self, the first half of verse 2. He experienced hurt, sorrow, agony, pain in his heart. His trouble was with enemies, second half of verse 2. His enemies seemed to be winning over him. But without doubt, the feeling of the absence of God Verse 1, the experience of the dark night of the soul is the most difficult struggle of all. That may be the worst part of David's trouble, but not all of it. He took counsel, meaning he made plans with sorrow in his heart. Verse 2, that is, he planned for possible solutions. You know, like a very typical man kind of thing to do, you know, we, we plan for solutions to our problems. But all his plans ended as dead-end streets. But it was worse than even that. How many times did David ask how long in his verses? Four times. Four times David asked how much longer. It was a problem of timing. He was wrestling with God's delay. It's one thing to face struggles and suffering. But when your plans fail, when you never seem to come out on the other end, when you seem to be in the thick of the mess of trouble, barely hanging on by your fingernails, and nothing changes. God doesn't seem to meet our last, 
conceivable deadline before we cave in. Then what? How much longer? Trouble can be unbearable when there's no end in sight. We go on in our troubles far longer than we think the mercy of God would allow us to. And it's unbearable. Maybe you're dealing with a long-term illness and there's no end in sight. Maybe you've been employed for a time, unemployed for a time. You want to work, but you cannot find a job. Maybe you have a family member who needs full-time medical care and the stress for caring for him or her is taking a toll on the family. Maybe you've been transferred to a dead-end position in a company and you might be worried, and you are worried about downsizing in 2019 and you wonder whether you'll be let go. Maybe it's a problem with your family. When you first got married, you were happy. Now we are pressures of having children, raising a family. Husband and wife don't seem to get along. You are saying with David, how long? Tell me, my friends, does the Bible understand us or what? But what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? We need to know that suffering and darkness will come. To most, if not all of us, at one point or another. Because of the brokenness of the world, we will face injustice and relational brokenness. We face struggles and suffering. We face darkness and depression. We need to prepare to face this when we are in the light. I'll talk a little more about this when we come to verses 5 and 6. My friends, realize also that you are not alone. David himself uh, was in the same situation and he expressed his honest feelings before God. Don't miss it. The first two verses are filled with emotions and questions. It is okay to be honest with God. There is a time and place for us to express our honest feelings and doubts and simply cry out before God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' heart was in such anguish as he prayed that he sweated drops of blood, a reflection of the enormous strain and emotional, inner emotional turmoil he was facing. And as Sam preached a couple of weeks ago from Psalm 22, Jesus in Matthew 27 verse 46 also cried out from on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Christ carried our sin in his body, God did turn his face away from Jesus. And Jesus cried out to God. We might feel like God has turned away from us. But as Sam reminds us, if we are all believers, though we may feel this way, we need to come to a place where we know that this cannot be true, that God loves us, that Jesus actually was forsaken for us so that we will not be forsaken. Remember that. Finally, friends, beware of morbid introspection. Morbid introspection. You know, all of us are encouraged and we need to have sober-minded self-examination. But what, just what is morbid introspection? Morbid introspection is an excessive depressing, unhealthy, over-examination of one's own thoughts, feelings, 
an emotional shortcoming. Basically, it means you, you are extra hard on yourself and you beat up on yourself. And the result of this is often the opposite of what we hope for. More inner turmoil, sometimes the point of despair. And one solution to this, the pursuit of fellowship in the local body of Christ. David experienced this darkness and wrote it into a song for the people of God to sing together. He expected that we sing truths to one another. And again, we'll see this in verses 5 and 6. Especially to those of us who are struggling in the darkness. You know, I've been with people struggling with suffering and hurt. I've sat there, wept with them, and listened to them. But oftentimes, they are often caught up in their own thoughts and perspective. They are somehow unable to see things and situations from another perspective. Because my friends, when we are depressed, when we are in the darkness, when we are in a grip of morbid introspection, we often cannot think or feel our way out of it. And this is exactly when we need someone outside of us, other believers that God has given to us in the local body of Christ, to lovingly speak truth and to remind us of what is really real, that God is wise, that God is good, that God is in control. Therefore, for 2019, church, if you are not already in one, do considering joining a CG so that we can practice speaking the truth in love to one another, pointing one another to what is true truth. Now, thankfully, thankfully, David doesn't leave us with these dark questions. If not, it would be a really, not a really good way to end 2018, you know, in a sermon where we just ponder on the dark parts of, uh, of Scripture. So thankfully, David doesn't leave us with these dark questions. He shows us a way out of darkness into the light. David's prayer in verses 3 to 4 is the turning point in this psalm. You know, one of the things that I, I do as, as uh, part of my get, getting fit regime is to do a boxing. And one of the things that boxers do in training is to do drills. Drills are exercise routines that train boxers to react in a certain way when facing a certain situation. So boxers, they do drills so that they almost act on instinct when faced with a situation they train for. So if someone jab at me, I slip and I give them an uppercut to the body. You know, these are things that you do. And, and, and this instinct is what we see, we see in David's response to the trouble he is facing. David's first step of faith is to turn in prayer to God. David prayed to the very God who seemed so far away from him, who seemed to have abandoned him. Although his heart told him that God had turned away, David didn't believe his own feelings. By faith, through his faith instinct, he pleads with God to hear and answer. So Psalm 13, verse 3 to 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I prevail over him. Lest my foe rejoice, because I am shaken. My friends, do you really hear verses 1 and 2? And do you really see the first part of verse 3? Do you sense a disconnect? You pray and you pray, and God does not pay attention. You plead and you cry, but there's no relief. So what do you do? 
you go on praying to the God who apparently has not heard. To us, it may not seem humanly rational, but it is revealing. The, this instinct of faith that prompts us believers to keep, simply keep coming back to God, even when it seems that God has turned a deaf ear, is almost a spiritual knee-jerk reaction. It's like a young child when facing danger, immediately looking for his dad or his mom to protect him. Sometimes our faith instincts are very revealing and comforting. Here in the darkness, it may, you may have the clearest evidence that true faith dwells in you. This knee-jerk reaction of faith, this instinct of faith. And after despair of verses 1 and 2, you simply keep on calling to the Lord my God. You simply cannot leave Him. You must then be His. You are a child of a covenant God. So you turn to God in prayer in the midst of your darkness. And friends, now note what David was praying for in these verses. Light up my eyes. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, I like the New Living Translation, restore the sparkle to my eyes. But what does this expression mean? We don't often use this in our daily language, right? We don't tell people, hey, you restore the sparkle in my eyes. So, so what does this expression mean? There's expression similar to this back in 1 Samuel 14, verse 29. There, Jonathan, King Saul, those of you who want to take scripture note, is 1 Samuel 14, 29. There, Jonathan, King Saul's son, was going through a stretch of woods while pursuing the enemies, the Philistines. He happened upon some honey, he stopped and ate some. But his companions around him, they were alarmed because King Saul had placed the whole army under a curse. Should they eat anything before he had gotten his revenge against the Philistines? And Jonathan's answer there was simply that his father had made trouble with the oath. You see, Jonathan said there, how, see how my eyes have become bright. My eyes have, uh, uh, have lighted up because I tasted a little of this honey. So what was Jonathan referring? He was referring to the fresh surge of energy, of strength that the honey had given him. So in this psalm, David did not ask God to remove his troubles. But rather, he asked God to supply him with fresh strength and energy in the face of assaults and troubles he is enduring. He is asking God to give him a strength to, 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 be, uh, to deliver him from death and from the shame inflicted upon him by his enemies. This pleading implies that what will be David's shame would prove to be God's shame as well. For David's death will imply that God was unable or perhaps unwilling to deliver his anointed servant. So in summary, what David was saying here is this, God, give me fresh strength so that your name will be honoured. God, give me fresh strength so that your name might be honoured. Doesn't this sound familiar? It's similar to the lesson Paul learned in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8 to 9. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. He's talking about the removal of Paul's thorn in the flesh, that it should leave me. Paul was asking God to remove his trouble. But he, meaning God, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly 
of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Like David, God did not remove Paul's trouble. Rather, he provided just enough grace, just enough strength, so that in the midst of his weakness and struggle, Paul's life will be the platform for perfecting and demonstrating God's power working in and through Paul. Because, my friends, our endurance through troubles points to something supernatural and beyond us, that we are being sustained by God's grace and strength. And this testifies to our Lord God and brings Him glory. My friends, therefore, pray for God to sustain us through our troubles so that even if we pray for removal of our troubles, which rightly we should pray as well, and if God doesn't remove them, we will endure through our troubles, testifying of His goodness in giving us grace and strength. You know, even as I, I, I talk about this, even as I prepare this sermon, doesn't this run so counter to our Singaporean culture? It feels so unlike what we normally pray for because we seek comfort. I seek comfort. Just, just the last couple of days, just because the weather is a little hot and humid, we complain, I complain, and we run and hide in an aircon room, right? We all seek comfort. So I'm guilty of this as well. But next slide, please. This is Joni Erickson Tada. She's an evangelical Christian author, radio host, the founder of Joni and Friends, an organization accelerating Christian ministry in the disability community. Some of you may know her story. For the younger ones who, who do not know who she is, at age 18, she, dove, she actually dived, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay after misjudging the shallowness of the water and she suffered a fracture between the fourth and fifth cervical and became a quadriplegic, meaning she became paralyzed from the shoulder down. And during uh, Joni Tada's uh, two years of rehabilitation, according to her autobiography, she experienced anger, depression, suicidal thoughts, and doubts about God. However, during her occupational therapy, she began to learn how to paint with a brush between her teeth and she began selling her artwork. She also writes this way, although for most writing tasks nowadays, she relies on voice recognition software. To date, she has written over 40 books, recorded several musical albums, and starred even in an autobiographical movie of her life. And she is an advocate for people with disabilities. But what is most telling is this quote by, by this lady. In talking about facing her troubles, she said this, The weaker I am, the harder I must lean on God's grace. The harder I lean on Him, the stronger I deliver, discover Him to be, and the bolder my testimony to His grace. My friends, did you hear that? God's grace is sufficient for you. Turn to God. Lean hard on Him. Testify to His grace. Bring Him glory. When you go to God in prayer and rest on Him in the midst of your trouble, you will grow intimate knowledge of God and you will be a testimony to His grace. As David settled his heart through prayer, 
the Lord gave him light. And David's prayer turned to trust and confident joy. Recently, our youth had a youth camp. One of the things we did was to visit various church members for lunch. I remember a few of the youths sharing of their visit to an older sister in our church, though she was well advanced in age, over 90s, and facing declining health and other struggles. They, the youth remembered her reminding time, them time and again of these three to four truths that she held on to. One of the truths was that God is good and He cares. She trusted in God's steadfast love for her. We see David's same trust in Psalm 18 verses 5 to 6. Verses 5 to 6. But, and note the but there, despite the troubles that David faced, and even before God answered his prayers, David trusted. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David could point to a moment in time when he said, Lord, I do trust you. No matter what is happening, I'm deciding right now that I believe that you are good and you care for me. David made a conscious decision to trust in God. Steadfast love, as Eugene preached last week, is the Hebrew word hesed. It's not a love in the sense of warm feelings. Steadfast love means God's loyalty to His promises and commitments to His people. It is covenant love. It's the kind of love when a husband vows to love his wife until death do us part. God has committed Himself by covenant to us, His people, like a husband to his bride. And David trusts in this, in God's committed love. Our God is a God of steadfast love and goodness. And my friends, you think about this, this is gospel grace. It's not that we are deserving, but God chose to lay His steadfast love upon us. So we too can have confident trust that sings of God's goodness. And because he trusts in God, David also hopes in God. Looking to the future, he says in verse 5, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Salvation in this sense means complete well-being. God will meet every need. God will forgive us our sins because of what Jesus did on the cross, bearing the judgment for our sins. But here, David means more than just knowing that his sins are forgiven, as wonderful as it is for us to know that. He means complete salvation, comfort for his heart, quiet for his mind, healing for his body, complete safety, perfect peace. God is not just saving our souls. He's saving us, heart, body and mind, everything that we are. God says in Revelation uh, chapter 21, verse 5, Behold, I'm making all things new. My friends, take note of this. David has not yet received God, what God has promised. He looked forward and rejoiced to see God's salvation in the future. This is the way it has been for God's people, for us. We look forward by faith for blessings that are to come. Real hope, hope that sees into the future, will give us joy even in the midst of our current troubles. God's promises are so real, so big, that having them changes 
everything. Everything changes. So what are some of these promises? Besides the assurance of forgiveness of sins through Christ, what else? i give you just one to just, just think on. 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 17 to 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. My beloved brothers and sisters, do you see this? We have an eternal weight of glory being prepared for us. A weight of glory that is beyond comparison. Isn't that an awesome thought? So hope in God. God may not change our circumstances, but if we believe that His Word is true, we'll be filled with the joy of what is to come. What we're experiencing right now is cross time, but there will be crown time. It's always the cross before the crown, Golgotha before glory. We need to look beyond our troubles today and see the good future that God has for us tomorrow. And when the cloud finally had lifted, David saw the blessings that had been there all along. And he says this in verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. God's bounty is nothing less than His His generosity and goodness that God pours out to us day by day. When His heart was heavy and His eyes were dark, David was blind to the good things that God was doing. He was blind to the good things that God was doing today and the good things that God has in store for him tomorrow. He was blind to God's blessing. When he turned to God in prayer and when he fixed his hope on God, he sang for joy at God's goodness and generosity. Pastor John Piper wrote this this, uh, this little thought and that night will come for almost every Christian. And when it comes, we must wait for the Lord, cry to Him, and know that our self-indictment rendered in the darkness is not as sure as God's Word spoken in the light. What Psalm 13 and Pastor John Piper is reminding us, that while we are in the light, trouble-free and okay, we need to saturate ourselves on God's Word We need to meditate on God's steadfast love, on His gracious salvation, on His boundless goodness. Because there come a time when we are in darkness, we need to remember this. And one practical way we can do this is to have regular intake of God's Word. You know, the new year is coming, and there's a number of Bible reading plans available on the internet. So I urge you, my friends, saturate yourself in the Word. Pick one of the Bible reading plans. Commit to reading your Bible. Think of this as preventive reading, a way of strengthening your faith for when the darkness will come. Come together as CGs or Bible study groups or even join our quick sessions. Up your intake of the Word to more than merely the Sunday sermons. Prepare yourself, saturate yourself in the light for the darkness that will be coming for most of us. Secondly, Although the pronouns in verses 5 and 6 are mainly first-person personal pronouns, I, the application of these verses cannot merely be read for individuals because Psalm 13 
is collected as a song in the Psalter, in the songbook of Israel. And this meant that this was used in the corporate worship in ancient Israel. Psalm 13 was meant to be sung to encourage one another, especially for those of us struggling in the darkness. So my friends, church, in 2019, commit to come regularly for corporate worship. Come early, stay later. Our worship service starts at 9 and the fellowship service after. It's not just for us or you, the individual worshipper. It's, it's time for us together, together, together to encourage one another. We encourage one another through scripture, sung in songs. We encourage one another through hearing and receiving the message together. We encourage one another through hearing the testimonies during baptisms. We encourage one another through fellowship time when we talk about how good God has been to us. And together as Grace Baptist Church, we can build a confident trust in God's goodness that sings, that sings of God's goodness for us. And for some of us who may be struggling with darkness, if you are a Christian and you feel like God has abandoned you, no, I cannot tell you when the emotional darkness will live, but I can tell you, you are not alone. You're following the footsteps of godly men and women who have gone before you. David felt abandoned by God. Our Lord Jesus Christ was truly forsaken by God. But when the clouds lift and the light shine on you again, you will see His face. And you will know all along that God was right there beside you. For now, you need to cry out to God in prayer. The very God who may seem so far away, you need to hope in Him. His promises are true. His word is sure. And He will save you. Let us pray. Our good God, <clears throat> Lord, sometimes the brokenness of this world grinds on us. We face struggles and suffering in our daily lives. In these times, you feel so distant. Father God, I pray that you anchor your word spoken in the light in our hearts so that when darkness comes, we will continue to trust and rest on you. Help us to trust in your steadfast love. Let our hearts rejoice in your salvation. Help us to sing to you, encouraging one another, because you indeed are good and the God of our salvation. In the moments of our weaknesses and troubles, may we rest on you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.